realize that in some different areas of our lives, there's needs to grow up. There's needs to take the next step, that we're not acting mature as we ought to. I remember when I was a, a young Christian, I always kind of assumed that people who had been in church longer were more mature. And then I became a pastor. And I looked at my own life and I said, you know, length of church attendance, even a great church, is not going to be an indicator of maturity. When you're a child, you act like a child. It wouldn't be acceptable to act like a five-year-old in an adult, in an adult workplace. As humans grow, we mature. As believers, we grow as we're nurtured by the Spirit. Today, Pastor Daniel's message speaks about how Paul addressed believers in Galatia about their spiritual maturity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are at work to bring us to a place of full maturity as members of His family. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Jesus is Greater Than Naivete. Jesus is real. So you know what one of the worst things to hear? Some of you have heard this before. Grow up. You ever hear that before? You don't have to raise your hand. That's a rough one, isn't it? Because somebody is saying, in effect, you're not acting your age. Oh, grow up. And what's amazing about the idea of that is that somebody loves you enough to say, you know, you should be in a different spot right now. Oh, grow up. I bring it up because the Apostle Paul is actually talking about that. He's talking to a church. He's saying, you guys need to grow up. Now, you know what's funny about growing up, of course, is that it assumes that we should be somewhere that we're actually not living out at the moment, that people expect more from us than what we're giving them. And I'm really grateful for the people in my life historically and in the present, who would call me on that stuff, who would say, listen, you're not acting in accordance with your age. And I think all of us realize that in some different areas of our lives, there's needs to grow up. There's needs to take the next step, that we're not acting mature as we ought to. I remember when I was a, a young Christian, I always kind of assumed that people who had been in church longer were more mature. And then I became a pastor. And I looked at my own life and I said, you know, length of church attendance, even a great church, is not going to be an indicator of maturity. Sometimes people have been walking with Jesus for five minutes and they're more spiritually mature than people who've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. Because... Maturity isn't based on things like how long you've been in church or how many times you've read the Bible. Maturity is lived out day in, day out in the spirit of God, in the presence of God. And oftentimes, we realize that when somebody has been in the church for a long time, we should expect more. We should expect maturity in more full blossom 
Today, what we're going to see is that Jesus is greater than naivety. If you think about the word naivety, naivety means somebody who doesn't know any better, right? I remember one time when I was in high school, I was trying to pull one over on my parents. I had done something wrong. I got caught for it, and I was trying to wiggle my way out of the side of it. And I'll never forget, I must have been about 16 at the time. And my dad looked at me, and he said, Dan, you can't think I'm that naive. And I stopped in my tracks, right? Because what he was saying is, you ain't getting nothing over on anyone, bud. I know what you're trying to do. And for our lives and for the churches in Galatia, Paul is saying, listen, don't be naive. You know better. And some of the issues that you're having aren't issues you should be having. You're just pretending to not know any better. And what a strong, strong lesson for us. So I want you to turn there in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4 as we continue this Jesus is greater than everything series in the book of Galatians. So Galatians chapter 4, really the Apostle Paul, and I've told you all this before, that the chapter breaks in the Bible, they weren't inspired. Like when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he didn't say, okay, chapter 1, boom, boom, He wrote a letter, and you know that letters don't have chapters, right? They're just letters. Later, the chapter breaks were put in and verses were put in so that we can find them, but those chapter breaks are not inspired by the Holy Spirit as opposed to the words that were written. And so really, at the end of chapter 3, we were already on this topic. And so we're going to continue the, the thought that the Apostle Paul is having. And it's good that we get to focus on some of these things up front in this message as opposed to at the end of the message that we had last week. So look at what it says. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all and is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, if you recall at the end of last week, the Apostle Paul is explaining what the purpose of the law is. Because the churches in Galatia had believed in Jesus, and then they kind of found their way back into good old-fashioned religion, good old-fashioned keeping rules, rules and regs, rules and regs. We do this thing and we do this thing. And Paul was concerned for them because they had left the acknowledgement that they believed in Jesus in favor of religion. I do this thing and God loves me. And if I do, if I do this other thing, God does not love me. And I am more spiritual than you if I do these things, right? What's the purpose of the law? And Paul tells them the law is a tutor that brings them to Christ. And he uses a a picture in that culture of the guardian who nurtured your child behaviorally, educationally in that culture, in that public schools. They had somebody who would be a, who was a hired person by the family who would nurture them from about age six to about age 15, 16. 
right? He's saying the law's job was to do that, but then you graduate and you grow up, right? Now the Apostle Paul uses another picture from their culture, because look what it says, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So really the principle that we have here, and then we'll unpack the verses, is that it's time to come of age. It's time to come of age. It's time to grow up. Really what Paul is talking about here is that it's a rite of passage in that culture. Now, we don't really have rites of passage in 21st century America the way a lot of other cultures do. Like, you could say that when a child goes from elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school or high school to graduating high school, that those are in a way a rite of passage. But in ancient cultures and in cultures that are not like America today, every culture has these specific rite of passages. Like in Jewish culture, they had a bat mitzvah for the girls or a bar mitzvah for the boys. It happened around the age of 13, 12, 13, 14, in there, that middle school age. Bat means daughter, and bar means son, and mitzvah is the commandment. So you have this ceremony in Jewish culture that for girls, they would have their bat mitzvah where they became women or daughters of the commandment. They are at that age now where they're coming of age. Now, in our culture today, if you know families who are Jewish, they still have a bar or a bat mitzvah, but it's really more like just a glorified party than it is like a, now you're on your own and you're paying your own way and you're, you got your own family and all that stuff. Right? So we have our sweet 16s for the girls. It's really, that's not really a rite of passage. It's just a reason to get all dressed up and, and make a big deal about someone turning 16. And let's be honest, how many of you are raising 16-year-olds who want to call them sweet? I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're here and you're 16, you are sweet. God loves you and so do we. In the Jewish culture that Paul was a part of, there was this coming of age ceremony. And in the Roman culture, there was, uh, in the springtime, the father could determine if it was time for a child to come of age. And so it was under the father's determination. And so he would look at his child and say, okay, now it's time for you to do this rite of passage. It was a ceremony that was called liberalia, for whatever that means. But it was a family festival. It held annually, and children would have their coming of age ceremony. And so what Paul is saying is that, listen, that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians until the time appointed by the father. He's saying, listen, a child in the lives of the people of Galatia, although they were masters, although they were heirs of all of the family wealth, until they come of age, they're like a servant, a slave. That they, they're in the family, but they don't have all the full blessings of the family. Right? So he's saying to the churches in Galatia, in effect, listen, you're an heir of Jesus, but as long as you are under guardianship, you're just like a hired servant. Now, I need to comment on the word slave there, because many people, they read the Bible and they say, oh, the Bible condones slavery. And the answer to that is, no, it does not. And if you don't believe me, read Exodus chapter 21. When you and I read the word slaves in 21st century Western context, we automatically filter it through African slavery, where people, where mostly Europeans, Caucasians, went to Africa and other places, and they 
kidnapped people and they took them against their will and they brought them to the new land and they oppressed them. Now, if you read Exodus 21, that's not the way it was meant to work. Really, if you read Exodus 21, what you find in the Jewish culture, and I do need to say that in that time when armies conquered other armies, they would subjugate the people, which is wrong, but they did it. But what you find is that in in the Bible, slavery, it happens when somebody cannot afford to pay their own bills, whether their family is impoverished or whatever. When they could not afford to pay their own bills, they would link themselves to a wealthy landowner and work for them, right? And so that they can pay their bills. You know know what we call that in America? A J-O-B, a job, right? You do your job to pay your bills and you're not wealthy on your own. So you're like, I'm going to work in this thing and I'm going to make money so that I can pay my bills. And if you're like, look, I wouldn't do my job if it wasn't for the paycheck, in a sense, that's slavery, right? You're like, I need this job to pay the bills. And that's really the way it worked. And so what Paul's saying is like, listen, when a child, before a child comes of age, that child is, although an heir and the master of all, really going to be a leader in that household, until the coming of age ceremony, that child is under guardianship. It's under guardianship. And so then he says, verse 3, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Now, I think this is really interesting. In verse 3, he's like, even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. And what Paul is saying is that when we were children, we were childlike. Isn't it true that when you're a child, how many of you are raising kids and your child does not have self-control? Yeah, we're all in that boat together. And Paul's saying, listen, when you're a child, until you reach maturity, until you come of age, you act childlike. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So he's saying, when you're a child, before you have been matured, you act like a child. You're under the elements of it. We just had this in our house, just... Our daughter, Maranatha, who is the sweetest. She's so, we had a daddy-daughter dance, and it was so fun. She was dressed up, and I even got dressed up. It was crazy. You know what I mean? And we went out, and we danced. It was great. But Maranatha, sure enough, got a bad splinter. You know how much they hurt, the splinter that gets right in there. And it was bad. And we needed to take the splinter out because we knew it was going to get infected. But I didn't even touch her yet with the tweezers or anything. Maranatha was screaming like we were cutting her hand off with a butter knife. It was like, honestly, I was looking at Lynn, I'm like, Lynn, this is crazy. I don't know if I can do this. Like, I almost wanted to chop her finger off just because I didn't want to have to deal with it. It quit. I wouldn't have done it. I'm just kidding. But it's like, she was beside herself. And, and it, was, it was terrifying and heartbreaking and quite endearing as well because finally she's just freaking. I'm like, okay, Meredith, we're going upstairs right now. She's like, no, no, just freaking out. And so finally we get upstairs. I say, sweetie, why are you screaming? She's like, is this going to hurt? I'm like, listen, does it hurt now? She's like, yeah, I'm like, it's only going to hurt for one more time. I'm going to get that splinter out. I, has daddy ever hurt you before? No, no, no. I'm going to hurt you. And she's, you know, whimpering. It was, it was rough, you know. I felt like it was her sweet 16, except it wasn't. It was just getting the splinter out, you know. And I, I had to reason with her, and I had to calm her down. So finally, we get her downstairs. And it's so sweet, because Maranatha's like, it's OK, Maranatha. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, Maranatha. She's, she's her own cheerleader. And then finally, I get, I, Lynn's holding her. I get the splinter out. I'm like. We're like hot messes in there because it's like her little girl. 
And after it's all over, she's like, all better. Just like, woo, I'm all better. I'm just like, and I'm like, Maranatha, that didn't hurt that much. No, it didn't. I'm like, so why'd you get all worked up? I don't know. I was just scared. Now, I know that when she gets older, it's not going to be the same. But she's a child. And she doesn't realize. And we don't hold it against her. We're not going to be like, hey, remember that day when you had to get the splinter out? You're freaking out. And don't, don't mention it to her. <laughs> Please. But it was a great example of a child being childlike. She, she didn't know any better. And she was under the reality of immaturity. She didn't realize that it hurts already. I'm going to pull a splinter. It's not going to hurt that bad. We put some hydrogen peroxide. She liked that it bubbled. It, it wasn't alcohol, so it didn't hurt her in any way. And she was great after. And we were playing and dancing, and it's all good. And she went to her, our daddy-daughter dance, and you, nobody would have even known that we had to do minor surgery on her finger. <laughs> but she was a child, and so she acted like a child, right? And that's what he's saying. He's like, but, but listen, when we were children, we were under bondage to the elements of the world. But then look at what happens. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, verse 5, who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Remember I told you that the rite of passage in Roman cultures was at the perfect timing of the father? Paul is saying, exactly. He's saying, churches in Galatia, you were immature. But, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born under a woman, born under the law. See, this teaches us that the biblical God makes us family. The biblical God makes us Family. He's saying, listen, just the way your physical father could decide when it's time for you to become a fully mature, rite of passage family member, an heir of the family, no longer a servant or like a slave under authority, but you get to take that place. He's like, God did the same thing. Now, I use the phrase, the biblical God makes us family, realizing that it's a little clunky. But I had to say it the right way because in these verses, you need to notice that we have the Trinity in these verses. We have God the Father sending forth his son, speaking of Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law. And then in verse 6, and because you were sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son. So that's the third person of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit, into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father. So here we have the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. Now, I realize that when you start talking about the biblical God, who the God of the Bible reveals himself as, that is not always the easiest thing to understand. And some people say, well, I don't believe in the Trinity because you'll never find the Trinity, that word in the Bible. And that's true. You'll never find Trinity in the Bible. But the concept of the Trinity is the best way to explain how God reveals himself to humanity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God. There's only one God. But God revealing himself to humanity in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see this in this verse, that the biblical God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are at work to bring us from being children to being fully mature family members. So notice, God sends his son. This is speaking of Jesus. And this is one of the great redemptive acts of God. This speaks of, of course, of the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So we have these 
It was a perfect time, God's appointed time. We have the son being born of a woman. This speaks of Jesus's full humanity. So not only was I talking about sticky theology of the Trinity, God the Father, so now we're talking about the full humanity and the full deity or divinity of Jesus. That's a little complicated, isn't it? But Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. When it says born of a woman, we have to always remember that Mary was the mother of Jesus's humanity. That in order for God to do this redemptive work of redeeming humanity, God needed to enter his own creation. And God, in order for God to become human, Mary comes and gives the humanity to Jesus. Now, what happens, of course, when you start speaking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and uh, Catholics, of which I have a background in, they mistakenly thought that Mary was the mother of God, right? So if you've ever heard the Hail Mary prayer, or maybe you never heard it, if you watch The Godfather, you hear it in that movie. The first stanza is right out of Luke's gospel, Hail Mary, you know, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed are thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. That's a quote right out of Luke chapter 2. That's solid theology. Now, the idea of Hail Mary, we think of Hail as like this kind of like, she's a queen. No, the word doesn't mean that. That's just the way in the King James language it talked about it. But that's perfect. Mary, praise be. Mary, full of grace. Not, she's the receiver of grace, not that she has grace to give, right? Blessed are you among women. Of course, she was the mother of the Messiah. Blessed is the fruit of her womb, Jesus. But then they have the second stanza. Hail Mary, mother of God. Ah, now right there, my friends, no. The Bible never says that. Because if God can have a mom, then God can't be God. Because in order to be God, God has to be uncreated. God can't have a mom. It's not possible. But if you don't make the subtle distinction that Mary is the mother of Jesus' humanity, you run into that. And that's why if Mary is the mother of God, then you say, now pray for us, now sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Because if she's the mom of God, I mean, listen, if you can go to someone, you can go to their mom, you're going to go to their mom, Right? But Mary is the mother of Jesus' humanity, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law. Notice verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, redemption. So at the appointed time, God sent Jesus, right? Born of a woman, born under the law, in order to do what? to redeem those who are under the law. That word redeem, it literally means to buy back from slavery. It's like, imagine if you have an exorbitant debt, and some people have it, they, have, you know, they owe uh, a fine and they can't pay it, so they have to go to jail in order to pay off that debt to society. And someone pays it for you, that is the redemption price. You get set free from slavery and bondage because someone pays the price for you. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to buy us back from slavery, to buy us back. And notice, not only to buy us back from our individual slavery, but in verse 5, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus is real. Thanks for joining us today for this edition of Jesus is Real Radio. We're so blessed by what God is doing through Jesus is Real Radio. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us. For anyone who wants to help further the gospel here on Jesus is Real Radio, 
with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you a personalized copy of Pastor Daniel's book, Honestly. I'll be back in a moment to tell you how you can receive your personalized copy. But first, here's Pastor Daniel with more about this special book offer. Thanks, Josh. Honestly is a book I wrote to help people deal with the messiness of life. I mean, we all know it. Life throws us curveballs all the time. We never know what's coming next. But honestly comes from what I've discovered out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, how you can manage your life through the lens of your relationship with Jesus. It's some powerful stuff. And I've been blessed as many people have told me how the book has helped them on their spiritual journey. I'm confident that honestly will be a blessing to you as you walk with Jesus. And I'll be personalizing each and every copy for the Jesus is Real radio listeners who partner with us this month. Here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive your very own personalized copy of Honestly, simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Then you can securely make your donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping. Remember, by partnering with us this month with your gift, You'll not only receive this great resource, you'll also be enabling Jesus is Real Radio to be heard on this station and many more. That's all the time we have for today. Join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 